Welcome to the Michael Rothstein Show live from Regents Field, Ann Arbor's true sports bar at 204 Main Street in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Regents Field also happens to be the home of this podcast. Come on down, check out a future episode taping. It's live on Tuesday nights. I'm your host, ESPN reporter, world traveler, and grandma's Michigan, and Michael Rothstein. And this is a podcast where we discuss the Detroit Lions, the NFL, and whatever else is going on in the world of football and maybe eventually sports. The Detroit Lions right now, they're teetering on the brink of irrelevancy again at midseason again. And at the midway point of this year, and and you can read my midseason report on ESPN.com on Wednesday, the Lions have been wholly mediocre. And while mediocre is a step up from where they were last year at this time, it's still nowhere near good enough because of how they got there. Sunday's loss to Oakland was a microcosm of that and of the season so far. The offense played exceedingly well, gained 473 yards of offense. Matthew Stafford is flirting with a 5,000-yard pace for the second time in his career, and the Lions are under 500. They've been close, but not enough, week after week after week, especially over the last month, and that's for one reason and one reason only. That's the defense. It's a defense that continues to be atrocious. Detroit make Derek Carr, who's an average NFL quarterback at best, look like a top 10 one last week. They allowed yet another running back, Josh Jacobs, to eclipse 100 yards. And the secondary is struggling other than Darius Slay, who's coming into form after dealing with a hamstring injury. And you saw that last week against the Raiders because the Raiders didn't really test him at all. So there are some bright spots, starting with Slay. And we're talking about the defense. The offense on the whole, at least the passing offense, is a pretty big bright spot. The rushing game, eh, that remains to be seen. But defensively, Trey Flowers is starting to play better, and you're starting to see that over the last couple of weeks. He's getting some pressures. He's getting to the quarterback. Jelani Tavai, as a rookie, looks like he's going to be a pretty good player once he starts to figure things out more, and maybe by next year he could be their top linebacker. I really believe that. Slay continues to be one of the better corners in the NFL, especially now that the hamstring injury seems to be healed. But this team has been held back by defensive issues all year long. We'll touch on it a little bit more in the final segment. And considering that that is Matt Patricia's ballywick, it raises some bigger questions. Can they improve over the second half of this year like they did last year? They didn't make a Damon Harrison-sized trade this year on defense. If anything, they got rid of a player in Quandre Diggs. So I don't know from a personnel standpoint where that's going to come from. Why has it been such a problem this year defensively? And... Even if they do fix it, will it be enough considering the Lions are four games back in the win column from division lead in Green Bay and three back from a wild card spot with eight games left? Even if Detroit gets hot, they might have to go six and two or seven and one, almost perfect level hot to reach the postseason this year. And at this point, with what you've seen from this team, do you really think that can happen? I I don't know. I'm not really sold on it at this point, especially considering where their defense is and where their special teams is. Offensively, they are a playoff team. They would be a contender if they had even a mid-level defense and special teams that didn't make mistakes, particularly earlier in the year. They've kind of calmed down a little bit off of that. But it's a shame because right now it feels like they're wasting yet another big Matthew Stafford season. So there's been progress, especially from last year, specifically on offense, even as the run game minus on Johnson continues to figure itself out. Ty Johnson's shown some flashes, but there's been inconsistency from the rookie. J.D. McKissick has shown some flashes, but he's not going to be an every down back. This team, frankly, is likely headed toward a mediocre finish again, unless the defense can get fixed and fixed fast. That's just not clear how that's going to happen. 
Now we'll look at the sit-up straight star of the week, and it is again Matthew Stafford. He continues to play the best football of his career, even when the Lions lose. For the first time since the end of 2011, he's thrown for three straight 300-yard games, capping it with a 406-yard, three-touchdown performance against Oakland. Yes, he threw an interception on a 50-50 ball to Kenny Galladay, but he continues to make enough plays to win and score enough points to win. They've put up 24 or more points in really, what, five of their last six, four of their last six games, and they haven't won any of those games. 24 should be enough to win most weeks in the NFL unless you're playing a Kansas City or New England. And yeah, they played Kansas City, and they actually played okay against Kansas City. It was maybe at this point one of their better defensive performances of the year, and they still lost because the defense messed it up in the end after Matthew Stafford drove them down to get a game-winning touchdown. So he's got his third straight game with a pass rating over 110, and without him, Detroit would be in real trouble. There's no question about that. This isn't a case of a quarterback getting too much praise because the Lions did, after all, lose again. He's earned this praise, and if the Lions were any better than they are right now, he would be squarely in the MVP conversation. And now we go to the slouch of the week. And there are a bunch of options here. And you could say the defense for once again getting shredded or Matt Patricia and Paul Pasqualoni for putting together what's been maybe if maybe the worst defense in the league, if not the worst defense in the league. This week, it goes to offensive coordinator Daryl Bevel. It's still days later. And I don't totally understand how you take your two best pass catchers out of the game on the final play for a heavy goal line package where the main targets are tight ends Jesse James and Logan Thomas. Combined, Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones had almost 250 yards receiving on Sunday against Oakland. Yet, after the Raiders called timeout and a fourth and one, you saw them trudging off the field and the Lions went with a heavy package. Daryl Bevel explained that they felt they were running the ball well enough, and whether they were or not is up for debate, that they felt like they could get away with play action, which Matthew Stafford's very good at play action. And when I pressed him on it further and said, well, how do you take your two best pass catchers off the field, especially considering what they had done that day? He pointed to some of the plays that they had not made in the red zone earlier in the game. But then he also defaulted to this. And that is that they ran their goal line package and Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones aren't in their goal line package. So to me, I'm like, I still don't understand why you do that. You take, you put your best players on the field when the game is on the line. I'm not knocking Jesse James or Logan Thomas because it's not either one of their fault. It was just a terrible, atrocious, no good, very bad decision to call that play with the game on the line. Matt Patricia said at that moment that that call was what they thought was best. And then the moment they had to make some quote unquote quick decisions and that that was what they wanted to go with. And it just didn't work out. No, it didn't. And you would hope that the Lions would learn from this. And in critical situations, you would keep Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones, both of whom are having pretty good seasons on the field. We'll be back in a second with our guests, former Lions receiver Ryan Broyles and ESPN Bears reporter Jeff Dickerson right after this break. Regents Field, Ann Arbor's true sports bar at 204 Main Street in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Come on by to enjoy some great food, including some gluten-free options, drink specials, and check out free ski ball and darts as well. You can also record a podcast of your very own here too. Check out regentsfield.com or find them on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at regentsfield. Now, back to our show. My first guest tonight is former Oklahoma Sooners star and Detroit Lions second-round pick Ryan Broyles. Broyles played for Detroit from 2012 to 2015 when he was let go by the club in the preseason. He moved back to Oklahoma and then got into real estate. Still in real estate, but last month he showed up as a possibility in the XFL draft 
where he was taken by Dallas. Ryan, welcome to the show. Hey, well, thank you so much, man, for having me. And let's jump right in there, right? Like, so you haven't played a game since 2015. <laughs> yeah. From our conversation, yep. you seem to be in a good place in retirement. So what gives? Why are you coming out of retirement to play in the XFL? You know, it's really the perfect storm, man. I've been retired for, what, four years now? And, um, you know, I've, I've always stayed in shape, maybe not football shape. You know, and I'm raising a little boy. He's four years old now. And I guess growing up would always be a dream of mine if my father played in the NFL and I got to go to his practices and things like that. So that's, that's definitely an influence for me right now. You know, my little guy at four years old, he's smart, man. He's, he remembers everything. So I want this to – me being on the field, being something he'll get to see, you know, and, and essentially cherish for the rest of his life, you know. But – you know, all in all, I still love the game of football. Um, the way I went out, you know, I was a bit bitter. Um, but I knew it was my time. I left the Detroit Lions, you know, and I've had a few years now to sit back and really analyze my career. Um, and, you know, just football in general. And, you know, the perfect storm now is Stoops going out there. And then, you know, my old quarterback, Landry Jones, XFL Dallas. Um, he put his name in the, in the draft portal as well. And, you know, it's just one of those deals. You know, at 31, why not give it a shot? Uh, football has been good for me. Um, and then obviously real estate has been good as well. So, you know, there's a, a few different things that are leading me to continue to play the game. So, okay. So like you said, you're 31 years old. Walk me through the decision-making process because like you said, you're in football shape, but not, or you're in shape, but not necessarily football shape. What's that decision-making process? Like, do they call you? Do you reach out to them? Does Bob call you? Like, just walk, tell me how this yeah. happened. Well, I've been in touch with them since June. Um, so it's been a few months now. They reached out to me. Uh, it was actually old receiver coach Drell Jackson reached out to me and said, hey, you want to come play some football? I just got picked up. Or I guess at the time he was like, I just signed uh, to be a coach. Um, I think it Dallas under Coach Stoops. And I was like, man, I need, I need a good six weeks to see if I still have it, you know. So I uh, hired one of my former trainers, and we, we hit the ground running out right after vacation. I felt good about it. Um, and, you know, those guys were like, hey, if you're ready to play, um, come – come run around a little bit. So I did about three workouts down there in Dallas. Um, Angie Dells is there. Uh, some, some, you know, obviously the coach uh, wanted to be a part of it. And, you know, they're like, he looks ready to go. So uh, it really wasn't too much thinking. Um, you know, my, my business life off the field is kind of, uh, we buy rental properties and it's pretty much passive. I've, I've got a couple of employees that help me run the show there. So stepping away for four or five months won't do anything um, to the business aspect of things. Um, but yeah, this, it's one of those deals. I'm excited to get get out there and run around again. So when do you make the decision mentally that, okay, I'm, I'm in good enough shape that I can do this? Is it that first practice? Is it? Well, are you saying when did I feel like I was ready to do this? Yeah. Like what? Yeah. Because I mean, it's a mental thing and a physical thing. So when do you, uh, well, when do you mentally? Yeah. You, you can't, you can't, you can't get in football shape without playing football. So obviously there's a lot of guys that work out in the off season, but you're not in shape until the first week uh, of training camp, you know what I mean? When your body's worn down, that's when you get in the football shape. But uh, mentally I was ready to play, you know, I've, you know, I've put on the cleats a few times, even after I've been retired, you know, and then um, you just mentally, if you feel good to go, I, I was recovering well after I started training, you know, I felt like I was getting a little bit stronger and I was, I still had the compassion for the game as well. And so I was like, all right, it's, everything's lining up. It's clicking for me. And uh, I wanted to go out there and run around again. So what was that first, like you said, I mean, that first workout, like after when you go down to Dallas, like, are you waking up the next day? Like, oh, my God, my body, <laughs> my body feels like crap because I'm 31, not 25. 
<laughs> no, that wasn't that wasn't bad. So I, I trained about two months before I even went out there. Uh, but I'll tell you, the first time getting back into running shape, man, I, I was running and my legs just would not pick up. And I was like, is this 31 or is this out of shape? So my whole training, you know, even over the last few months, is, is this 31 or is this because I haven't been training? You know, so it's, it's a mental hurdle, too. But at the end of the day, I've been out there in the Dallas. I'm running around with 22, 23-year-old guys. You know, my footwork's just as good. Now, we'll see what happens when I put on the pads. But, you know, at the end of the day, my game was just a, a mental uh, guy that, that plays strong. He was, he was mental, mentally willing to do anything to, to get a first down or a catch. And that has definitely has not left me. I'll tell you that. I think once it's in you, it's in you. So was this a tougher sell for your wife, maybe? Because, you know, you – She's got a four-year-old, and I'm assuming you're going to disappear yeah. for a couple months. Like, what's that conversation like then? Well, it, it's still, yeah, it's definitely still a conversation. You know, we've, we've done some things within our household, hired a nanny. You know, we were getting the house arranged, making sure pieces are put together for her. But, you know, it's, it's, we're going to go on the season. It starts in December. Um, the last game is the end of April. Um, I've told everybody, you know, I'm going to do this for one year. It's a good opportunity for me to run around. Plus, it's a, it, my son's going to get the opportunity of seeing me play and put the helmets on. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's definitely a sacrifice. You know, my wife's all in. So, you know, but we're not looking to make a career out of football anymore. But, yeah, hey, this is this is something that we want to do. We've built up some things over the last four years, and let's make it happen. So, and I wouldn't have played for any other team if it wasn't two and a half, three hours away. You know, we're just a drive away. So, we've already made arrangements of either going down south or coming back up here once a week, you know, and – you know, it, it's a part of life. You know, those guys are – my family's going to be able to travel every weekend. You know, there's some great destinations that we're going to be able to play in, and, you know, they'll get that experience again. Oh, so the whole family's going, like, this is a pick-up-and-move type No, my, my family's going to stay here in, in Norman. Okay. Um, they're going to stay in my home city, and I'll be three hours away. And, you know, obviously during, throughout the week, we won't be able to get to see each other. Uh, but, yeah, they'll probably come down if it's a home game on a Thursday or something and stay through the game and then – Vice versa, when we got a bye week or a away game, I'll make sure to make it back up this way. But, yeah, it's, it's a six-month deal, you know, a five-month commitment. You know, I'm 31 years old. I've got the rest of my life to live. Yes, there's a lot going on in my household at the moment. Uh, but we, we both see the, the benefit in it, you know, to give me, give me my, my opportunity to run around again and then get right back into real estate when I'm done. So you kind of answered this already, but I just want to clarify, like, at 31, this isn't like a last-ditch hope to come back to the NFL or anything like that. This is more of a closure it. thing than anything, right? Well, I wouldn't even really say closure. You know, obviously, the way I went out of the, the game, you know, it took me a couple of years to say, you know what, you know, I did the best I could with the opportunity. Yeah, I could have stayed in shape another year and gave it another shot, but, you know, it just wasn't, it wasn't in my cars. But now that the XFL opened up and it gives guys an opportunity to run around again, it's just simply the game of football now. You know, I just get to put the pads on, get to go run around, no strings attached, you know, and obviously I want to compete. And I still feel like I'm able to do that. But, yeah, at 31, I, do I think I'm going to make it back to the NFL? That's not a dream of mine. You know, I want to go catch, go catch some footballs again for a year, you know. And I walk around town and people will say, oh, so you're hoping to make it back to the NFL? It's like, you know, I've, I've been there, done that. I'm 31. I know how the game is, how the business goes. You know, I, I'm here to play football for one year under Coach Stoops, my old middle school football coach, and again with Landry Jones. So those are really the biggest reasons for me to come back and play. So, so kind of when's the last time maybe you played like this with like kind of not that pre- – because it sounds like you're playing with kind of no pressure. Yeah, there's, there's no pressure at all. Well, there's yeah. pressure I put on myself to make plays. I don't care how old I am. I'm, I'm not trying to go out there and look dumb, you know, so I'm definitely going to make plays and work 
just like I've been doing every day in training camp. But yeah, there's, there's ultimately no pressure. And, and even in, in college, I'd probably say my sophomore, junior year, there was no pressure to, for anything. It was just go out there and ball. And then obviously their senior year comes, you know, talking about the draft and things pick up. And I, I read that, I guess, I guess I rode that whole, um, you know, having to produce ever since, you know, after my senior year, got into the league, wanted to play, and I just continued to just battle back, and there was always pressure at that point. But, you know, like my dad said growing up, man, pressure doesn't bust people, it busts pipes. So you just you just jump in the fight and you make it work the best you can. And kind of while we're talking about football a little bit, let's go back to that kind of, like you said, getting ready for the draft and all that. When you look back at your time with the Lions, how do you feel about it now, four years out, and kind of the way it all yeah. went down. Ah, uh, man, I've, I've had plenty of closure. You know, I think um, there was I, I battled through injuries often and, and a lot. You know, there was there were times where even when I came in as a rookie, you know, my ACL wasn't where it needed to be. Obviously, I ran well at the pro day. Um, I don't think I was in the shape I needed to be. It took me halfway through the season to get going. And I remember running out there in practice as a rookie, and my my body was just hurting. But that was my first time going through an injury. So I was like, okay, maybe this is normal. I don't know. My coach is saying, fight through it. It's going to get stronger. Therapist said, fight through it. It's going to get stronger. So I did that, played well for a couple games, and then, bang, the next one went out. So just a bunch of compensation. So I would say in the time that I was in the NFL for three and a half years, I learned more about the body. So I'm almost a certified physical therapist, I feel. you know. So I got something at least for that. And I think that's even affected me outside of playing football when I retired. I just – when I go to the gym now, I think about the structure of the body, the genetic makeup, and how ligaments and tendons and all these things are connected. So my, my mind definitely grew on that aspect of things. What was, what was the, maybe the one thing that you learned about your body or about physical therapy, I guess, that you kind of were shocked by? The one thing, the one thing, honestly, when I told my ACL, they said there's about a 90% chance you'll tear your other one. They told me that right after surgery. And I'm like, dang, you know what I mean? And obviously that did happen. But yeah, there's things that happen in the body that will just, it, it's, it's a chain reaction and just moves out throughout the body. And I definitely learned that, you know, and um, that, that's a part of the game. There's guys that play without ACLs, there's guys that play through all kinds of injuries. So I'm not the only one in the NFL that, that understands those things. It's kind of interesting that you bring that up because one of the things I want to ask you about, the Lions have a young, a young guy now, on Johnson, who's back-to-back seasons where he's missed significant time and gone on IR with knee injuries and also a second-round yeah. pick and, you know, with a lot of expectation coming in, very similar to you. Like, yeah. what's your advice for a guy like that who's dealing with it because you yeah, lived it geez. half a decade ago? Yeah, it's, it's crazy that you say that because I think about my son now at four years old. Like when he starts shooting up the ranks or, you know, even older in, in his career or playing football, or I'm going to have these – I'm going to have more experience, which I didn't have that experience on my side. But what I would tell somebody like him is like, listen, it's, it's literally – it's a marathon. Stay healthy. That's first and foremost. Take care of your body. You know, don't, don't rush yourself. And obviously the game of football, it's fight to injury. You got to make plays. Oh, contract year is coming up. So I know there's those variables in it. But you're better off getting released healthy than you are going out there tearing your ACL for the second time. You know, that's just how I see it. Now, he didn't tear his ACL, but, I mean, obviously, there's the mental aspect of it, too. Like, how did you deal with all of that mentally oh, okay. in the moment? Oh, okay. Yeah, it's, it's, you just got to fight, man. This isn't, this isn't these guys' first time getting hurt. You know, even in college, you know, I've had rolled ankles, broken thumbs, you know, there's just all things you just got to fight through. And that's a part of the game. But, um, 
just just go to practice. If you're not healthy in practice, you're not healthy enough to play. That's 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 first and foremost. Like when do you, do you realize that when you're playing? Like when you're out there in 2013, 2014? No, I did not. I did not. I did not. It would have to take somebody a few years to leave the league and look back and assess everything. Obviously, when you're in it, and granted, these guys have been playing football since they're eight. So they have nothing but that that same mental tension or main, same mental thoughts that they've had the whole time. You know, pick it up, figure it out, play through injuries, and it's just a part of you. And not until you remove yourself from being an athlete, like I did for the last four years, you just see the game different. It's probably the same way that your mother would see the game or a, a trainer would see the game. It's just from a different perspective. And it's like, wow, you know, it's, it's not as big as it looked like it, <laughs> it was, to be honest. Like, do you wish you had that perspective back then? Like, do you think that things may have gone well, differently? It's it's just like in life, you know. As it, I wish I would have done different things in high school. Would have, you know what I mean? Like, any everyone has those moments. Was like, oh, okay, that's what my mom was saying, or oh, that's what my teacher meant. Many years removed, you know. So obviously, see if I could see into the future and make some changes now, that would be great, you know. So I think we always have um, that, that second thought. When. When you look back at, at your career, I mean, you, as we've talked about the injuries, like, do you ever feel like your career got started? Like, did, does it feel like you ever had a, I don't mean to say that because that sounds flippant, uh, but like see, had a real career. Yeah, I, I feel like I had a damn good ride, man. I, I, I balled for a long time and, you know, a career is NFL career. My career started in high school. You know what I mean? When my first coach said, Hey Ryan, you got the opportunity to make it to the NFL. You know what I mean? Like, that's when my career started. My career started in, in I, I was fully in my career in college. You know, now the NFL career, do I feel like it got started? I had opportunities for it to start. You know, there were times where I could make plays when I was healthy, but I was not healthy enough. I was, I didn't make it through one offseason healthy, and I think that would be a, a game changer for me if I did. That I remember when, before that last offseason, though, you felt like you were healthy. Were you not? Were, was that no, you I, kind I of fighting through? That. Well, after the last Achilles, but you know, we had a we had a coaching regime change. You know, the guys were implemented in their positions. It was just okay. This is your time, and it's it's one of those deals. Like players know when it's when it's time when it's time to change, or and the coaches know the same. And so it just that's just how the last offseason got off the start. Um, was I explosive? Maybe not. I feel like I made plays, but I have no regrets. You know what I mean? I I enjoyed every moment out there, and the hardest part was after knowing I was going to go up there and say, you know what, I'm done playing, walking back in that locker room and hugging my boys. That was the hardest moment for sure. You mean in 15? It wasn't. It, was not, it had nothing to do with being on the field. There were no regrets about being on the field. It was more like being in this locker room and knowing this, these moments are over. And so now at 31, I get to put the pads on and be right back in the locker room with the boys. Well, take, me to, take me in that moment if you can. I mean, because you – if I remember correctly, you asked for your release. Like you and Martin had talked about it, right? Or you or your agent and Martin had talked about it. You asked for your release in 15, right? Yeah, so we, we started talking about it probably after the first preseason game. There was a little talk in the offseason as well. Um, so after the first preseason game, I'm like, all right, you kind of know where, what position you're going to be in. You're going to know how much playing time you're going to get. So really after the last preseason game, you get the opportunity. The fourth game, all the guys that are essentially going to get released are going to be the guys that are playing. Um, now it doesn't always work that way. So I felt like that was the route I was going, wanted to get a jump on free agency. Obviously that didn't work out for me, but yeah, it was strategic in that, but I knew it was time for me to make a business decision and move. 
when you say you're hugging those guys for the last time, like at that point, do you think you're maybe done or do, uh, did you still have? 100%. No, I, I 100% when I left the Lions, I really thought this is my last opportunity. Um, and so I went home. I mean, when I flew back to Dallas to my house, it was just built. I just literally for like three months, I did not work out at all. Like there was no, if, there, if I got a call, I wasn't, I was done. You know, I was done. And it wasn't until the off season when I trained again, had an opportunity with Jacksonville, worked out, it didn't work out, and then the rest is history with the NFL at that point. What were those three months like? I mean, do you watch football at that point? Do you I did not, kind of- man. I did not. I was it was probably until what is it, two thousand and nineteen. Probably like last year was like the first full year where I could watch the games and be like, yo, that's my boy. Oh, look, my boy's doing it. Oh, I remember cracking that double with my boys. But a few years before that, I was done. I was, I was fully in real estate. Like, this is, why, this, is who, this is my new identity, you know? And now I get to drive. When I turn the TV on on Sundays or Mondays, it's like, that's my dude doing it. It's just that it removed, like, the, the hard feelings. It took a little bit, but, you know, at the end of the day, my boy's out there having a good time. I essentially lived through him. But he's 31, you know? I'm like, these are kids out here now. You know, they're 24 years old. So it's like... It's just different, you know? So when you look back at it, what did the NFL actually teach you about yourself, if anything? Jeez, be in the driver's seat. Be in the driver's seat. And I tell people this all the time with real estate. Like, real estate's a great investment because you can essentially control a lot of things. You can't control it all. But when you're, when you're um, the fourth man, 50 man on the, on the depth chart and the coach has the playbook and he can call whatever route he wants for you to succeed or not, it's a bad position to be in. So I, that's definitely what I felt moving forward in life. That's definitely tough. Did, did you feel like in the NFL that was what was happening to you? I don't think it was intentional, no, not at all. You know, I, I feel like there was opportunities. I made plays all the time, I felt like. You know, I made plays in camp, made plays in preseason games. You know, I just didn't, didn't have the, really the real opportunity to go on the field. Now, I, I could be biased if those guys were better than me. I don't know. I feel like I still had something to offer. Um, but like I said, I, I really have no regrets. You know, the games taught me a lot. You know, it, it's definitely helped my family out. We've experienced a lot and added out to bundle whatever I learned from that and move on in life. And I've used some of those same things that Coach Caldwell talked about, you know, the same things that Coach Stoops talked about, same things that Linehan talked about. You know, I, I use a little bit from all these mentors, these coaches I've had, and get to implement that in my day-to-day life. What are, what are some of those things that now maybe you look implement at? And for those who don't know, you've got a pretty thriving real estate company in, in Oklahoma and, and a couple other states that, that you've kind of taken over. So what are, are some of those things from Caldwell and, and Linehan and Stoops that maybe you, that you use now? Well, ah, geez, let me see. I'll take it from my, I'll just go with Stoops. You know, Stoops was like the, he wasn't just a football coach, but he was the CEO. Like he, he ran every aspect of that organization from the, the equipment staff all the way up to she dang near the um, athletic director. Like he had his hands in everything and he directed it almost like he was a, like a puppet. And then, so that, that's really one of the things I admire from him. And he wasn't always the most social but he could always relate with his players. And then Linehan on the same, on the same aspect, he could relate with his players. And I knew he had no hard feelings. He was going to put a player in place that he thought was the best to make a play. When he felt the heat from getting fired or whatever it might be, 
he was going to find a way to get the players, the ball in the player's hand. And obviously that's Calvin and Stafford. So he, he knew shoot your shot, put your best guys in play. And that's what I should see doing my real estate game. Hey, I love you guys, but hey, if we got to put the best players in place. And then Caldwell was just a, he was a mastermind the way he grabbed the whole group. He grabbed every person's eyes in the room when he walked in. He always had great structure. He was um, obviously charismatic. Um, and he was just like a father figure, you know, to be honest with you, even, even he could be white and feel the same way, but he was like a father figure. He demanded respect. He gave respect. He ran that room. He had everybody engaged and it wasn't just football. We went to meetings. It was real estate talk. It was what did the CNN news say about politics? You know what I mean? He was all over the place and it was like, Hey, this is, if we're together, we're about to hit all the topics. And I remember one time I had sat down with him in the, um, in the cafeteria and we started talking about real estate and he actually sent me over a PDF of how he documents all his real estate transactions. And so I still use that same PDF to this day. So, you know, I've gotten something from just about every coach. Did you actually pick his brain? Because what people don't know, I think is that he actually had a pretty big real estate company as well a little bit. Like, did you pick his brain heavily yeah. when you started working through this? Because that was around the same time, right? What do you mean? Same time as, is was when you you were with the Lions when you first kind of started really poking at the real estate. So were you picking yeah, his so brain I, yeah, while you were so doing I that? My, I bought my first house in um, my first well, my rookie year. So I started buying just a little bit at a time. And then when I knew my time was about up in the NFL, obviously with Caldwell, that's when I would sit down in the preseason off season and say, "Hey, coach." Like, let's talk a little bit, you know, because I knew my next plan, you know, and so I just got different different perspectives. And he, he his honestly, his spreadsheet is the thing that, that I remember the most out of any of the conversations, you know. What does that? Th- what did that thing look like? Like, because I think most people think Carl was a pretty detail oriented guy, right? Um, sorry, say it one more time. Yeah what what was that, what did that spreadsheet look like? Oh, well, it was just so like, you know, his cap rates and his show property addresses. And he was like, this is a portfolio I've already sold. So it's not like I, I do anything, but he would just show that how, how he set it up. His cap rates, his returns, how he put his loan information. He just, his, his blueprint on how he does it. And so even I use that to my day. It's my schedule of REO. And um, that's what the banks want when you try to try to get a loan from them. So you definitely have that updated. And so I since he took a part of his game plan and I implemented that. What's it like? Place you grew, you grew up in Norman, you go to college in Norman, you leave playing the NFL, you move back. What's that like now? I mean, you were talking about before about how like XFL people will be like, oh, you know, asking you this and that and the other. Like, or what's it like, kind of going back to a place where you're still a celebrity? Man, I'm just a normal dude. I don't like people saying famous celebrity where it might be. Man, I'm it, it's home. You know, at the end of the day, like, hey, if I don't have my hair cut, you know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm in Home Depot or I'm at the mall. Like, I'm in my sweats. Like. You know what I mean? Like, I've been walking these streets since I was five years old. So, I don't know. It, it's cool. People notice me. You know, you always get the eye first, like the little glance, a couple glances. And then you get to the point where, like, hey, what's up, man? And you just kind of, you just kill the awkwardness. But it's it's good. Home is home. My family's here, man. You know, I'm a, it, it is what it is. Was the plan always to move back to Norman when you were done? Well, no. We actually built our first house in Dallas. Um, and my yeah, the, the my wife didn't like the fast pace life. She didn't like the, I guess the bouginess of people. And you know, I I enjoyed it. You know, I loved the you know I love people the hustle and bustle. You know, it definitely motivated me. And my wife's like, nah, let's go let's go back home. And so obviously we had our little boy and came back home. And 
this is where we're supposed to be. Our whole family's here. It's great. We travel a lot. So I guess that's our, our little escape. Uh, lastly, with every guest that we have, we kind of end it with a few rapid fire questions. You game? Yeah, for sure. All right. So what's the craziest thing you saw in the NFL? The craziest thing I saw? Oh, that's a... I don't know if I really saw anything crazy. At least that I want to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> that's the real answer, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing. One thought did come to my mind, but it's like, nah, we can't talk about that one. But yeah, I don't think anything outside of that, man. I was, I was a homebody, man. I, I didn't go do too much crazy stuff. Yeah, I, I even meant like on the field or anything like that. Like, what's that memory that stands out? Like, if there's any sort of craziness, you know? What does what does crazy mean to you, man? I'm not I'm not sure. Jeez, I'm I'm really not sure. I've had some awesome awesome times out there, you know, going to the Ford Museum or Motown. You know, those are great memories of mine. But crazy, I'm not sure. Fair enough. What's the best piece of of financial advice you can give to someone? Start now. It's really that simple. Start now. I, I talk to people of all different ages and. They don't even know what a budget looks like or why they need a budget. They've never looked at trying to do a home loan or getting a financial statement put together and just just start now because at some point you're going to need it. Or you, you want to pass it along, if anything. Yeah. When you left Oklahoma, you set the FBS reception record. What was it like to see it broken so soon after? I was in NFL at the time. I'm like, oh, this dude played against no competition. You know, I was a little salty, but hey, part of the game i'm up there man uh records are good to have they're meant to be broken and you know at the end of the day i balled out i had an awesome, awesome time if then i if i need, if I need to brag to anybody or a, a ego boost so i just talk to my family right <laughs> what's the worst piece of trash talk you've ever heard from an opponent in high school college or nfl worst piece oh when you talk trash and they say your mom it's like bro we're like 24 years old you know i had a like dude from Kansas, the cornballs of yeah, Kansas. Some some people just are not good. K State is the worst trash talkers as well. But yeah, when someone just says your mom, I've had that happen a few times. Wait, so K State just was terrible at trash talking, like all their DBs. Yeah, were all- like they don't. Well, it's just that I just something about K State. They play great football. It's just the personality. I don't really know if they have much of it. So it's just they're just dull. They're just real dull. <laughs> I want to flip that. Like, what's the best piece of trash talk you've ever heard? Like, where you're just like, damn, that guy got me. Uh, I don't know if I ever got got, to be honest with you. Because it's usually, they they usually talk trash after you do something to them. Especially DBs. You know, oh, you pushed off or, oh, they should have called that. Like, nah, bro, you just leave it alone. But, yeah, I don't think I ever lost a trash talking battle. And lastly, what's the best book you've ever read? Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Robert Kiyosaki. When did you read Real that? Real book. Well, I guess it was, um, I read that in 2012, right after the Rookie Symposium. Huh. It, it was a game. It was a game changer for me, for sure. It changed everything that I did, even early on in my NFL career. Ryan, thank you so much for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, people can watch you play in the XFL in just a few months. Heck yeah, man. Well, thanks for having me. Absolutely.
Regents Field, Ann Arbor's true sports bar at 204 Main Street in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Come on by to enjoy some great food, including some gluten-free options, drink specials, and check out free ski ball and darts as well. You can also record a podcast of your very own here, too. Check out regentsfield.com or find them on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Regents Field. Now, back to our show. You can hear my next guest on his radio show, Dickerson and Hood, all over your ESPN radio platforms. And also, he's the man to follow for coverage of the Chicago Bears. This is Jeff Dickerson. Jeff, thanks for coming on the Michael Rothstein Show. I really appreciate it. Oh, Mike, it is my pleasure. And it's game week, Bears-Lions. Can you feel the excitement? I'm joking, but I think (laughs) we can feel a little bit of excitement. I hope this weekend, because the Bears have been without excitement now for several weeks, sadly. Well, the Lions have had not the type of excitement that I think any of them, their fans or their players want based off of kind of how they've lost games this year. And, and to me, this seems like a matchup of the team that can't stop anyone against the offense that can't do anything. So let's really start there. How much longer can Chicago go on with Mitchell Trubisky at quarterback? I, I don't think, Mike, it's certainly not beyond this season at the very minimum. I mean, I think if if the Bears could have made a switch, they probably would have. I just don't think Chase Daniel represents represents any type of, of long-term solution, but it is very fair to wonder if, if he could manage games better than Trubisky and let the Bears try to win with their defense, which hasn't played as well, Mike, the last couple of weeks, but it's still overall a pretty good unit. But that's just getting lost in this haze of terrible offense and nine total yards in the first half against the Eagles last week, which is just unbelievable to think that's how few yards the Bears managed in 30 minutes of football. But, look, I mean, I think everyone knows that, barring some sort of miracle, that they're going to have to go out this offseason and find the quarterback. You know, they don't have the first-round pick. That's property of the Raiders. Right now the Bears have two second-round picks. You know, maybe they could leverage those into finding a, a new guy, sign a veteran quarterback. There should be a lot of those available in free agency. But, I mean, the more Trubisky plays, the more I think everyone understands that he's just, he's just not the guy. I mean, he just doesn't play well enough in this system. He's not a trained enough pocket passer. He makes bad decisions. Um, there's not a lot to like. And, Mike, he's not running, which is the really the most remarkable part of all of this is that it's the one thing he does well is run, and he's not running. So it's, it's just very hard to figure out what's going on with him and the offense in general. So why isn't he running? Yes, Matt Nagy. He is very quick to say that he wants him to be a passer first and a runner second. Now, I understand in the grand scheme of things, that's the ideal you know, sequence of events you want for a quarterback. Be a passer first. If you have to run, then run. But when you can't be the pocket passer that you need to be, when you're constantly overthrowing wide-open receivers, when you can't really diagnose the pressure all that well and step up in the pocket for the most part and make the plays you got to make, but when you are blessed with this great running ability, why not? just run I mean the Bears seem like Mike they're so afraid to say that they could use him like Baltimore uses Lamar Jackson and what in the world is wrong with that 
They're winning games in Baltimore. They just beat the Patriots. Um, it's very it's, – it just doesn't make sense what's going on with him. He's not even looking to run, which is a huge issue because the best plays he's made this year, for the most part, has been when he's either moved in the pocket and navigated and climbed and slid in through or when he scrambled and made something out of nothing. So, it's, it's again, it's very hard to understand – what the plan is with him and whatever the plan is clearly just isn't working. I was going to say that's kind of baffling too, because yeah, Lamar Jackson's an, uh, a kind of model for that, but so is Josh Allen. And so is the guy that Matt Nagy came from that system that he came from with Patrick Mahomes. And before that, Alex Smith. So is, is it that maybe Nagy doesn't feel comfortable enough with Trubisky as a passer to let him run? Is that possibly it? Well, I mean, I don't think there's any sort of trust level that he has with Trubisky that he had with Alex Smith in Kansas City or the Chiefs have right now with Mahomes or anything like that. I mean, I just think you could just look at the way the games have been called, especially in these tight situations. I mean, taking the knee against, uh, what was it, the Chargers two weeks ago with 43 seconds left and four downs to get a little closer for your field goal kicker and not trusting your offense, your quarterback to run a play successfully. And they had a timeout too, Mike, which was the craziest thing. I mean, they could just call timeout. The play didn't work and tried again. But, um, I, yeah, I just, I just don't think the trust level is there. And I don't, I don't think that's something that gets fixed either. I mean, um, either you trust a guy, you don't. And right now this is not the offense that Matt Nagy envisioned running. It's not all Trubisky. The offensive line didn't block anyone in Philadelphia last week. They've got no tight ends. You know, Allen Robinson's having a good year. That's it at wide receiver. Tariq Cohn's numbers are way down. David Montgomery's doing okay, but, you know, his yards per rush is still only just 3.6 on the year. So, I mean, it's not just the quarterback. It's just he's, it's so glaring that he's not playing the way they need him to play. And at this rate, at 3-5, and five, you can kiss the playoffs goodbye. It's going to take a miracle, I think, for the Bears to legitimately get back in this thing in the NFC. Yeah, well, same thing here in Detroit at 3-4-1, and one, and that's kind of one of those – that's what makes this game really interesting to me. I think it's almost like an elimination game. The loser basically is just packing up for the year in week nine. <laughs> no, that's Which, true, but, but here's the thing with the Bears. You know, they still have to go to Green Bay. They have to go to Minnesota, and that's week 17. I guarantee you, Mike, that game will mean something to the Vikings as far as playoff ramifications go. Oh, no doubt. The Chiefs, the Chiefs are going to be at Soldier Field in Week 16, and I guarantee you that game's going to mean something to Kansas City too. Um, it's even you know, overall just you know seedings in the, in the AFC. They got the Cowboys, which that game will mean a lot to Dallas. They've got the Rams in two weeks. I mean, this is not an easy schedule. Yeah, two with the Lions. I don't think the Bears right now can feel like they're going to sweep Detroit by any means. Um, the Giants at home is a very winnable game. But, I mean, Mike, you find me find me 10 wins on the Bears' schedule right now. And that's what it's going to take to get a playoff berth in the NFC. It's going to take 10 wins to get at least a wild card. And I, I don't see it with this team. No, I, I'm with you. And it's kind of some of those discussions that you're having in Detroit as well. I think they're oddly very similar teams only having – major problems on the opposite side of the ball coincidentally the side of the ball that their coaches are most known for right like because 
Patricia is known for defense and their defense is abysmal. And Matt Nagy is known for offense and their offense gained nine yards. So the, the last question I have about that particular topic is this. I mean, does this season put either Ryan Pace or Nagy in jeopardy of maybe not being here in 2020? Well, I definitely don't think that Nagy should be in jeopardy. I mean, they, they, he won coach of the year two years ago. Um, like, I just think there have been a lot of things that have gone wrong. And, you know, he just, as a young head coach, I, I don't think he has the experience to draw upon to fix this litany of, of, of issues that he's, he's dealing with right now. But, I mean, as far as him being here next year, I think there's no doubt he needs to be here next year. Now, Ryan Pace, Mike, I mean, is there any Bears draft pick by Ryan Pace that's playing well right now? I honestly cannot think of one. Um, Kevin White's gone. You know, Leonard Floyd's not doing anything. Roquan Smith's having a down year. We know about Trubisky. Adam Shaheen was a second-round pick, Mike, and he is literally playing himself off the roster every day that goes by. Tariq Cohn is having a bad year. Eddie Jackson's done nothing. He was all pro last year. James Daniels, who's their starting center, just got abused by Fletcher Cox last week at Lincoln Financial Field. So I don't think they would fire Pace, but of the two, he should be in the most jeopardy. It's funny you mentioned Eddie Jackson. Let's flip the defense. Like you said, this unit still pretty good, but not what it was. Is Vic Paggio the biggest difference there, or has something else really changed? Well, I think the fact that they know that the offense isn't going to give them anything really hurts, Mike. It's it's you know, and it's hard to go out there and bust your butt and work so hard in these games when you just know you're going to get nothing in return from your offense. I think that's a major problem. Also, though, they're just not, they're just not playing as well. They lost to Keem Hicks. Uh, that's a huge loss in the middle of their defense. He's a great player, and he's on IR. They might bring him back at the end of the year if they're playing for something. Right now, it seems like they won't be. You probably won't see him again this season. Uh, you know, because they're getting nothing from Floyd, really, and there's no Hicks, Teams can literally put three bodies on Khalil Mack. It doesn't always stop him, but it stops him enough where he's not having the type of crazy impacts in games that he was earlier this year. Um, mentioned Roquan Smith not in any way taking the step they thought he'd take in year number two. Uh, Jackson's not doing much. Ha-ha Quinton Dix is just kind of a, you know, kind of like a stopgap guy at safety. You know, he's not a bad player, but he's on a one-year deal, and I think that's for a reason. You know, the corners are doing okay, but there's not a huge pass rush. Defensively, the numbers actually are, are not that off from last year, believe it or not, Mike. Huh. Um, they're not totally, they're not terribly different. The last couple of weeks have not been as good. So, yeah, the defense can play better. Is Pagano, Fangio? I, I would say probably not. But defensively, enough good things have happened. You know, minus all they had the insane amount of takeaways last year. They led the league in turnovers, interceptions. They're not getting as many of those, but the overall body of work for the defense has been good enough for the Bears to be a lot better than three and five. And it just shows you that the offense has not just been bad, it's been historically bad. And I think that's going to suck the life out of any defense, no matter how bad or good they are. So if we took the Lions' offense and the Bears' defense, Maybe they compete in the NFC? 
Boy, if the Bears had Matthew Stafford, I'm telling you, if they had Matthew Stafford, it would be a much different story. It would be. Um, if they had 20 of the starting quarterbacks in the league, I mean, and, and again, not to pile on Trubisky, but Mike, be honest. Can you think of any starting quarterback that's playing worse than Mitchell Trubisky right now? I mean, Darnold maybe, but that was, that's, you know, in pre-mono, he wasn't that bad. I mean, can, yeah. can you can you legit think of anyone playing worse than Mitch? Mm, I mean, no, not really. But that's only. I mean, that's in part because Tennessee benched Mariota and Jameis well, seems to have rebounded. But and Miami. Well, I guess what's going on in Miami. But I mean, Fitzpatrick just led them to a win, and sure, we don't know, and we don't know what Ryan Finley's going to be yet. So <laughs> okay, again, these are the co- yeah <laughs> okay. Here, all right, here, here, here's a better way to put it, okay? If I put Ryan Fitz, if I lined up Ryan Fitzpatrick, if I lined up Andy Dalton, if I lined up Marcus Mariota, and I lined up Mitchell Trubisky, and I said to you, which of these four do you feel the worst about if you had to go into a game and had to win? Oh, Trubisky. You Trubisky. You, you proved my point. Thanks. No, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, there, there's no doubt. It's funny because this is the game I used to play with people with Matthew Stafford. I, it was a little would you rather, and then like people are like, oh wait, no, Matthew Stafford's a pretty decent quarterback. It's like, yeah, I know. So we we end every segment uh, actually before we get to that. Got one quick other question about the special teams because obviously we all know what Cody Parkey did last year against the Lions. Eddie Pinero has he solved their kicking issues a bit? Um, I think so. I mean, he had the bad miss against the Chargers. He also missed one uh, from short distance that game that went off the goalpost. So automatically everyone's like, double going, Cody Parkey, you know, it was pandemonium in Chicago until they saw the offense play the next series. Then it was like back to pandemonium about the, the offense in Trubisky. I think, I think he's been better than expected. I don't think he's terrible. I don't think he's great. I think he's good enough. I think it's, I think again, if, if you had an offense, that could just play complementary offense to this defense and the kicker who's okay, um, you could have something. It wouldn't be yeah. three and five, but they, they, don't, they don't have it right now. So every, every guess I have, we end with a little bit of rapid fire or probably more realistically semi-rapid fire. Uh, if you're game, let's go for it. Do it. All right. So just to inform readers or readers, listeners, you are at your son's football practice right now. What is Parker's best sport? I would say it's, it's a toss-up between baseball and football, and I think basketball is his third sport. It's hard to say which one he's better at, not to be a bragging parent or anything, but, I mean, uh, at eight years old, soon to be nine years old, uh, he does bring the thunder uh, at football and baseball right now pretty much every, every time he's out there. What what's your best Chicago sports moment? Oh, best Chicago sports moment for me was that I personally was at. Let's let's play that. Personally okay. was at. I I have I was at Super Bowl forty one when Devin Hester returned the opening kickoff for a touchdown. That was incredible. But I still think my greatest memory, Mike, was Illinois versus Arizona in the Elite Eight in Chicago at Rosemont, the old Rosemont Horizon. When Illinois was down by like 20 points, they came back and Darren Williams hit a three with about a minute left to play and the roof came off the place. And my alma mater went to the final four in the spring of 2005. That's the best for me. 
Oh, I remember that game. I actually watched that from McCarran Airport in Las Vegas. So, you know, there's that. Uh, <laughs> what's tougher for you, deadline after a night game or live radio day after day? Um, I would say our deadline after any game is a little tricky. Um, even though our, our formats changed a little bit this year, I think, I think those stories are hard because, you know, it, it requires some, some thought and some time that's not as easy to, to be aware of everything that's going on around you. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's hard to, it's hard to write a 500 word story while the game is going on and have it ready when final gun sounds, uh, radio that's, you know, that's not too bad. That's pretty easy, but I, I would say our deadline is, uh, can sometimes be tricky. What's your pregame routine, if you have one? My pregame routine is I typically get to the stadium about four hours before kickoff. Uh, I like to go down on the field whenever possible and take a lap around and just kind of see what I can see and whatever. Uh, and then uh, I go back upstairs, Mike, and that's when I do my expenses. So uh, I get the pregame ritual, get the expenses in, make the bosses happy, get the bank accounts back up, and it's, it's a win for everybody. <laughs> that's actually brilliant and i need to start doing that um what, lastly what's your go-to restaurant in chicago for people who are traveling out this weekend might not go be asking for myself gosh there, i mean there, i mean geez, there's so many great restaurants downtown um uh let's see uh i mean if you go pretty much anywhere in the loop um you're you're gonna love it uh um, I mean, I like all of, of Rick Bayless's restaurants in Chicago, like Frontera Grill, places like that. Uh, if you like Mexican food, um, also too, Mike, he's at the airport now. Yeah, so I'll stop at O'Hare. Wow. Get yourself stuff a torta. Uh, I, I highly recommend that. But um, I like, uh, geez, I like uh, Rosebud. I like Gibson. Um, I mean, honestly. Any, any place downtown, for the most part, you're going to love. And I'd say, why limit yourself to one spot? Hit two or three spots a night, because if you're not eating, you go, to the, you go to the first restaurant, you eat your dinner at, say, Gibson's, and then you work the rest of the area and just hit the bars at the restaurant. It, 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 it's actually more fun than going to the bars, the bar bars, because it's just, it's nicer. And the drinks are actually just as affordable or, or unaffordable. Well, I think you've now given all of my listeners advice if they're going to Chicago this weekend. So hopefully some of them will take you on, take you up on it. Jeff, thanks, man, for coming on. I really appreciate it. You bet, Mike. I'll see you on Sunday. Absolutely. Regents Field, Ann Arbor's True Sports Bar at 204 Main Street in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Come on by to enjoy some great food, including some gluten-free options, drink specials, and check out the free ski ball and darts as well. You can record a podcast of your very own here just like me. Check out regentsfield.com or find them on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Regents Field. Now we're going to our last segment, which is always a reader slash listener question or two. If you want to ask a question for a future show, you can use the hashtag Roth Show on Twitter or Instagram. Or you can email me, michaelrothsteindm at gmail.com. This question is from Tom W. Cordesman. Apologize if I butchered your name with the username Paradigm Backflip on Twitter. Tom asks, are the Lions defensive woes correctable? It seems like every week, at least two different start defensive starters miss a start. Depth is an issue that needs to be addressed in the offseason. So Tom, I don't totally buy the depth issue and the starters being out because every team has injuries, especially this time of year. And the Lions... Frankly, yeah, they've had they've been banged up a little bit, but they haven't been completely ravaged by injuries. 
So, yeah, sometimes it's a change, but Detroit also played one of its best defensive games when Darius Slay was out against Kansas City. So I don't know if depth is as big of an issue as you're suggesting. And I believe that both defensive line, whether they've played well or not, and the secondary have a bunch of talent, and they do have depth. The linebacking core is a bit of a question to me. And while it seems like they're figuring out how to use Jared Davis, there are still too many read and instinctual mistakes there from a guy in his third year in the league who they really rely on. He's become a very good pass rusher, but... It's still a little bit inconsistent. I expect the Lions will again make changes to their offense and defense this offseason like they do every year. I don't expect quite the overhaul like they made last year, but I think there will be changes and they'll be building out their depth. Bob Quinn has always been a big big fan of building out depth on both offense and defense, and he's shown it throughout his time as general manager. To me, the issues on defense are some of the passive play calls, and they've gotten a little bit more aggressive at least with the blitz, putting pressure on quarterbacks the last three weeks with varying levels of success. We're successful against the Giants, less so against Minnesota. But it's also the tackling. The Lions have struggled there throughout the season and making the right reads defensively. A lot of that is teaching, so it is fixable, and that's on Matt Patricia, and he'll be the first one to tell you that. But the time to make these changes is getting short, fast, especially with Chicago, which is, as you heard Jeff Dickerson talk about, the team that can't do anything right on offense coming up. You can read my reporting guest tonight, Jeff Dickerson, on ESPN.com. You can follow him on Twitter, at Dickerson ESPN. You can follow Ryan Broyles on Twitter and Instagram, at Ryan Broyles. You can read me on ESPN and follow me on Twitter and Instagram, at Mike Rothstein, on Facebook, at Mike Rothstein Journalist. And check out my travel blog, complete with gluten-free options in every city that I write about, at MichaelRothstein.net. And thanks to Regents Field for hosting this podcast. Come on by to enjoy some great food including some gluten-free options, drink specials, and check out free ski ball and darts as well. You can also record a podcast of your very own. Check out regionsfield.com or find them on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at regionsfield. Episode 5 is done. Thanks to my producer, Matt Leach. Don't forget, if you like what you hear, give us a positive review over on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else you choose to listen to your podcast. Love all of your feedback as we continue to grow this show. And we'll be back. So see ya next week.